Thank you guys so much. Kyle, he looks good, doesn't he? <laughs> it really is going to be a great time. I hope to see um, as many of you there on Friday. I mean, if that doesn't sell you, I don't know what will. So that, that's all I got to say. But it, it is so great to be with you guys today and have you uh, just spending as part of your weekend with us, worshiping together. Um, it, it, like, it was just a, a special, just kind of intimate worship. I really appreciated that acoustic set and thankful for our worship team. Um, it really is great to be back with you. Um, our family, we took uh, two weeks off and just kind of enjoyed spending some time together, just reconnecting with, with each other, recharging a bit. And, and I just want to say thank you to all of you for our church family for allowing us that. And, and a special thank you to, to Lowell and to Chuck for uh, filling the pulpit the last couple weeks. Uh, they just did a great job. And, and I'm, I'm just so thankful that we just have uh, just a, a capable people that can come and share the Word of God with our, with our church family. And, um, and it really, it, it made me think as I, as I watched Lowell's message, as I watched Chuck's message, one of, one of the things I think just is, is so beautiful about just the, the family of God is, is just how beneficial and special it is to be able to hear different perspectives and different voices and different experiences. That, that the, the things that Chuck talks about, the things that Lowell talked about are different than how I would talk about it as well. And, and I love that because Lowell's journey is different than Chuck's, which is different than mine, which is different than yours. And, and it really is something, you know, there's something to be said for hearing the, the voices and the experiences of people from all different backgrounds and, and ages. So I, I just want to say I'm grateful for uh, each of them. Um, today, we are going to be landing the plane on our series on through the book of James. And, and as I shared with you in the first week of this series, James is a, is a relatively short book. It's only five chapters long. And, and I pray that this series has been a blessing, has been an encouragement to each of you as, as we've gone through it over these last number of weeks. Um, and, and I love that as you read through the book of James, as you read through Scripture, there really is a, a continuity and a cohesiveness that runs through all, all of Scripture. And as I, I said just earlier, uh, just a, a moment ago, of, about hearing different perspectives and different experiences, you know, that, that is also true as we read the, the Word of God, that depending on how they're classified, there are between 35 to 40 different authors that wrote this book that wrote the Bible. And, and, and one of the things that, that's awesome about it is they all tell the story of God, but they all do it with their own, their own twist, their own experience, their own voice in, in that process and their own perspective. And, and yet there's an interrelatedness that, that runs throughout all of Scripture. And I'm really grateful for that. And, and so as we begin in chapter 5, closing out this final chapter in the book of James, you know, one of the, one of the things that he talks about and addresses right off the bat, is something that was obviously a struggle in the first century church, but it is very much still a struggle for us here in 2022 America. And, and one of the things I, I mentioned about James in the very first week is that James, he doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches. He just comes out and he just, he just says it. He, he doesn't sugarcoat things. He doesn't beat around the bush. James just comes out and he just comes right, right at you. He says what, what, he, what he's thinking. And and how chapter 5 begins, he addresses how, addresses how we handle our, our resources, how we handle our, our wealth, our possessions, the things that God has given to us and blessed each of us with. And so I'm going to read the first few verses in chapter 5, and then we're going to talk about it. So uh, starting in verse 1, 
James says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who are not opposing you. Thinking, man, like take it easy there, James. You know, like and and like I and I've read through this this chapter multiple times over the last couple of weeks. And, and it really can be easy, it, it can be very tempting to read a passage like that and kind of gloss over it, to kind of think, all right, you know what, it, especially when he opens up in verse 1 by saying, now listen, you rich people. Like, it, it, we, we might read that and be like, all right, well, he ain't talking to me. You, you know, like, I, 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 unless you're like sitting on a fortune or you won like the $1.6 billion Powerball. Did anybody win last night, by the way? No, still... One, it's 1. 1.9? All right, well, James isn't talking just to the, those that are going to win the Powerball. But we can, we can kind of read that and, and hear what James is saying and think, all right, well, I can sit this one out. Because surely, you know, I'm, I'm broke, I'm busted. James surely isn't talking to me. But actually, it absolutely does apply to us, what, what James is, is talking about here. And part of that is in, in several factors. Now, now, obviously, first, that no matter how broke we might feel, how, how, how stretched we might feel financially, we are still way better off than most people throughout the entire world. You know, right, right now, there's 3.4 billion people. About half the population of the world lives on less than 1,000 U.S. dollars per year. Like, I, and, I, and I don't say that to, to condemn or to judge or make us feel, feel guilty, but it's just to kind of give us a bit of a, a perspective, you know, uh, to kind of give us some context of just how blessed we really are, that God really has blessed us beyond what most people who've ever walked this planet could ever even, even imagine, and, and I'm grateful for that. But what James is talking about is, is the heart that comes behind it. Like, J James, what, what he's doing, he, he's not condemning wealth. Scripture doesn't ever condemn wealth, but he is actually warning about the great responsibility that comes with wealth, that there's responsibility that comes with it, that when you have been blessed, when you've been given so much, there is a, a weight, there is a responsibility that comes with it, and, and the perils that comes with having stuff. And what James is talking about, what Jesus talks about, when he talks about money, what Paul talks about, is our, what, it, what, is our, what is our attitude as it relates to the material world that, that we live in, to our things? And, and last week, Chuck talked about you know, the, kind of this dichotomy about being a friend of the world versus being a friend of God. And, and we have to be careful that we don't adopt worldly standards of worth and value and identity. Because there, there's nothing wrong, you know, as James is talking about wealth, there's nothing wrong about, about saving, there's nothing wrong with, with planning, with retirement, with making wise financial decisions. Like God has called us to be good stewards of what he's given to us, what he's blessed us with. But with James and Jesus and, and Paul, when they're writing about finances, when they're writing about wealth, he's talking about, all right, what is our attitude that we have towards the financial blessings that we've received? 
What is our attitude toward them? And so in this first part, I, I want to just take a, a quick look and examine some of the attitudes that we can have of a giving life. Because I think every one of us, if I asked everyone in this room, we would all say, oh yeah, I want to live a giving life. I want to live a generous life. And so what are some attitudes that we can have about living a giving life? And so the first one, you can write this down if you're taking notes, is that we don't hoard it. We don't hoard our, our wealth. We don't hoard our finances greedily, but we steward it wisely. Like, I, I don't know how many of you have ever seen, like, the show Hoarders, or maybe you know somebody who could be on that show. Like, I, t about 12 years ago, Angela's dad had a stroke, and, and we were going through his house, and he, just the massive amounts of stuff that he had accumulated over the years. Like, literally in his basement, there was, like, floor-to-ceiling stacks of car magazines, and vacuum cleaners, and window air conditioners, and, and, and you know, like, all, all these types of things, you know, more, more tools, my goodness, more tools than you could possibly, you know, ever use, boxes of, of old silverware, and, and, like, these things that he had just collected, that, that he had accumulated over time. There, there's actually a, a, a medical term for this. It's called hoarding disorder, and, and and, and when you talk about those that, that hoard, it, it's punctuated by, by several things. One of them is isolation, depression, anxiety, family conflicts. And, and, I, and I find one thing so interesting and fascinating about that when talking about one of the characteristics of those that, that hoard, those that are, that are all right, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm keeping this stuff, for me, is this idea of isolation. And I think in, intuitively we all know this, that, that stingy people are lonely people. Like Charles Dickens knew this when he, when he wrote A Christmas Carol and, and was writing about Ebenezer Scrooge, that, that stingy people are also often lonely people. And instead of living a life where we're trying to hold on to our wealth and we're trying to hold on to our stuff with, with closed fists, that what James is talking about, what Scripture tell, tells us is that we ought to steward it wisely instead of hoarding it for ourselves, that, that we ought to, to live our lives when, when we think about our stuff, our wealth, our, our possessions, our things, that we, that we do so with an open hand, not, not, not clenched fists. Like I, I remember when I, when I was younger and I would have cash of, of any kind, I made sure that like we would go to the bank or I'd ask people, I'd always want it in like ones and fives, and then I'd get like a $20 bill to put on like the outside so it looked like you had like this big wad of cash even though I really didn't, but you wanted it to look that way. You know, like, and, and, and I know there's probably nobody else in the room that's ever done anything like that, but, but th this idea of, all right, I, not only do I want to keep this for me, but I also want people to notice. I want people to see. Another thing that James talks about when it comes to, to, to an attitude of a giving life is that, that we don't handle our finances, we don't handle our wealth deceitfully, but we distribute it honestly. We don't handle our, our wealth deceitfully, but we distribute it honestly. James is talking here like he's talking to employers, to foremen, to, to business owners, that we ought not be deceitful in, in the distribution of our wealth, that, that he, he has some very strong words in this passage about not cheating somebody else, that if they did the work, that if they've earned it, that that income should not be withheld from them, paying our debts, not cheating those that, that are working for us or that we're doing business with, not cheating on our taxes, like handling our money in an honest and upright way. They're talking about the attitude as it relates to 
our money, living a giving life. And, and the third kind of attitude I, I see in this passage about living uh, a giving life is that we don't spend it selfishly, but we share it generously. Like we, we can live, it, it's really easy in the day and age that we live in to live a very consumeristic life where we spend, spend, spend. All right, I, I, want, I want more stuff. I want more things. All right, that, that, that meal, that toy, that car, that, that phone, that tchotchke, whatever it is. All right, I'm, I'm going to go and pursue that thing because it's going to make me happy. Like we, we live in a time where advertisers make tons of money trying to make you feel dissatisfied with, with life. Trying to make you dissatisfied with the stuff that you already have, and but what what James is talking about, what God is talking about, is us living a life of generosity, where we where we freely share what we have with others. And, and these verses that that we're reading, these first six verses in James, actually challenge me quite a bit because I I, I don't want to live a life. I don't think anybody in here wants to live a life where we're hoarding and keeping stuff just for ourselves, but that we do live a life where, where we're freely giving to those around us, thinking of the needs of others ahead of my own. In, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Jesus is speaking here, and he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, right? which I find fascinating. Jesus, he's not saying, all right, just being greedy. He said, there's all different kinds, all different kinds of ways that we can be greedy. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Like, and, and again, James isn't, or Jesus isn't saying there's anything wrong with having stuff. There's not anything wrong with having possessions. But the trouble comes is when our possessions have us. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, King Solomon wrote, he says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, but whoever, er, excuse me, a generous man, excuse me, I'm sorry, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Like, I'm constantly thinking of, of others. Others. Like, I, I'm not looking at, at my wealth and my possessions as mine. But I'm thinking of others first. That, that, that's, one of, that's one of my visions. That's one of the things I want to see for us as a church body, that we are going to be an others first church. Not looking out for, for ourselves and our own best interests, but, all right, what can we do to be a blessing to those who are around us. We, you know, I'm, I'm, you guys know me well enough. I'm, I'm not in any way like a, a prosperity preacher or anything like that. Like we, we don't, we don't give so that God is going to bless us. That, that's, that's not scripture at all. We, we don't live a generous others first life so that God can be pleased and we can earn favor with him. But there's a freedom that comes. There's a freedom that comes when, we're, when we are generous with our resources. When, when we put our, our money and our time and our talents and, and we put it in circulation of, of expanding and, and, and sharing God's kingdom, there's freedom that comes in that. And, and I've, I've shared before this phrase, and, and it's one that, that I came across that Pastor Andy Stanley has used, and it's something that, that has just like embedded itself in my head that, that I think about often when, when trying to make decisions about something. And it's this idea of what does love require of me? Like when, when I'm about to, when I have a financial decision to make, what, what does love require of me in this moment? When, when I have a choice to make about how I'm going to spend my time, what does love require of me in this moment? And it's interesting, like, I, and just being fully honest and fully transparent with you, like this, this has been a journey that God has had me on for a while because living a, a generous other's first life is not something that comes naturally 
To me, I don't think it probably comes naturally to, to most people. In fact, it, even today, there's times where living in a generous other's first life is still something that's difficult. But when we can, when we can live an open-handed life, when we learn to, to give rather than to keep, when, when we can be generous, it demonstrates that our stuff and our money and our things, that it doesn't have as much power over us. When we can freely give away what we have, because we know ultimately it comes from God anyways, it's a sign that all right, the, the, that, that materialistic uh, mindset doesn't have as much a hold on me. But when, it, when it's hard to give things away, when it's hard to give or when it's hard to be generous, it's a sign that maybe our stuff has more of a hold on us than it should. But when we can freely and cheerfully and lovingly and generously give, we, we aren't in bondage to our wealth, not to our money, to our stuff. We, we possess a freedom. There's a freedom that comes in living a generous lifestyle that's hard to beat. But this next section in the chapter, James actually shares some really good news with us. So he, he like, it, it can almost feel like James is a little ADD because he kind of like jumps around for, to, from different things. But in this next section, and starting in chapter, or excuse me, in verse 7, he shares some really good news. And the good news is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. And I want to share the next few verses with you. James writes, he says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. But brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you're going to be condemned. Now, now in, in this section, James, he, he says something twice. He, he reminds his, his, his readers twice that Jesus is coming back. And twice he also says, in light of that fact, be patient. Be patient as you wait for God to come back, but also be patient with one another. Like I, I've told you before, like James is a, is a very practical book that he's talking about. He's trying to teach us about how to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so if you're taking notes, I want you to just write this down. That patience produces character. Patience produces character. And, and I, whether you know this about me or not, I think for the most part I tend to be a, a fairly patient person, except in one very big arena in my life, and that's when I'm behind the wheel of a car. Like, I, I really, really, really struggle being patient when I'm behind the wheel of the car. And about two or three weeks ago, Michaela and I, we, my daughter, we were driving from Warsaw to, to Plymouth. And it, and it feels like they have been doing construction on this stretch of 30 forever. Like, I mean, it's just, oh, it's just brutal. And, and so, like, it, it's down to one lane. And in the work zone, it's only a 50-mile-per-hour speed limit. So we're driving at night, and, and we got stuck behind this semi-truck. And, and, and I don't think he made it, like, past, like, 45, 46 
that entire stretch. And I'm like, come on. Like, I, I, like, I know it's a work zone, and I know it says 50, but like, we can at least go 50. But, like, but it, it was just kind of the speeding up and then slowing down. Like, we, we got down to what was it, like 34 or something like, at, at one point, and I'm just like, I, I'm just fuming. I, like in, in this moment, I, I'm mad. I'm mad at the truck driver because, like, dude, just let's just go. Like, I'm getting irritated with with the engineers and the planners and the and the road crew because I'm thinking, why are we down to one lane? There is nothing going on here. Like, we could just move these cones over and it'd be two lanes and it'd be great. Like, I, and I, I was just getting so frustrated. I, I was mad because I was tired. It was at night. I, I was ready to go home. I wanted to get to bed. But in this, the Holy Spirit really convicted me about something. My daughter, Michaela, is 15 years old. And it's not going to be that much longer that she needs her dad to, to drive her places. Before too long, she's going to have her license. She's, she's not going to need me to, to drive her around. It, it's not going to be that much longer that Michaela is living at home. That I'm going to have opportunities to be in the car and to talk and to connect with her. And instead of seeing this time of slowing down as actually a blessing, hey, I get to have more time with my daughter. I, I, get, to, I get to have more time that I can connect with, with her, that this precious little time that I have left with her. And instead, I, surround, or I surrendered it by being ticked off with the semi-driver and, and the construction and all this. And like, Michaela, I'm sorry. Like, I, I'm, I robbed myself and I robbed you in this moment. Patience produces character. It produces character. And the things of God can never be rushed. Like we're going to miss what God is up to if we're constantly trying to rush. But instead he says, be patient. In Romans chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul, he, he writes this exact thing. He says, and patience, it produces character. And character produces hope. And this hope, it will never disappoint because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts. He gave us his love through the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us. And like I said, like James, James is saying, All right, I want you to be patient in, in, in thinking, in, in, in this idea to be patient, not to grumble, to be a person of your word. And, and I'm paraphrasing James here. He's talking about Jesus coming back. And I, I would kind of say, if I could sum up this, this section here, is James is saying, I want you to live with an, with an eternal perspective. Live with, with an eternal perspective. Because all too often, we, we focus our lives and we live our lives about what's happening right now in this moment right here in front of me. But James reminds us that as followers of Jesus, as people who possess the hope, the good news of, of Jesus, we ought to live lives that look different. Like we ought to live our lives with this idea, with this mindset that, that, that we have eternity in mind. And, and so like, what, what does that mean? What does, what does that even look like? I think part of it is what I was just talking about, making the most out of every moment that we have. Because we never know what kind of eternal impact we might have on the people around us. That small act of, of kindness or generosity that smile or that hug that you gave to somebody, the, the call or, you te or the text you gave, just kind of checking in on someone, taking the time to just sit 
and to listen with, with no agenda, without having to, to rush, not, nothing being expected. No, I just want to be with you in this moment. Demonstrating and conferring dignity and love on someone regardless of, of their lifestyle or beliefs. Like, like we're never going to know what the true impact of those types of things are on the lives of those around us. That, that's, that's having an eternal mindset, an eternal perspective. And consequently, the opposite of that is also true in having an eternal perspective. Because we don't know the eternal impact that those actions have as well. When, when we don't give someone the time of day or we just ignore somebody, saying something rude or hurtful or unkind, our acts of pride that, that belittle the value of somebody else, the social media post that sows division and pits us against them, the snide co comment that we just kind of blow off, right, I'm just venting my feelings. Like Each of these can have an eternal impact as well. And this, this applies for us wherever we are, whether, whether we're at work, at home, where, you know, we're walking down the street and the sidewalk, we're encountering a stranger somewhere, we're at the grocery store. But, but allow me to speak for just a moment about what that looks like here at church on Sunday morning when we gather together to, to worship together on a Sunday. Because every Sunday morning could be somebody's first Sunday and it could also be somebody's last Sunday. Like we, we don't know. We don't, you don't know the story of the person that's, that's walking in 25 minutes late. You don't know the story. You don't know what they might be dealing with. You don't know what they saw last night, what they experienced. Every Sunday could be somebody's first Sunday or somebody's last. And there may be someone who, who comes and, and perhaps they, they, they have some negative experiences about people who call themselves Christians. And our, our interactions that we have, no matter how brief, no matter how short or, or small they might be, have the ability to make an internal impact in, in their lives as we demonstrate the heart of Jesus. That when we, when we convey that you're valued, that you're loved, regardless, that you, that you are, uh, that, that you are um, that, uh, what, you, what you bring to the table, what you bring to this body is important. And God sees it, and we, we see it. Like we, we, we have the ability to make an eternal impact on someone like that. But, uh, and on the flip side of that, too, there might be somebody who comes in, and they're just saying, all right, I, I'm, I'm desperate. I'm going to give this church thing, I'm going to give this God thing one last try before ending it all, before walking away. Like We never know the eternal kingdom impact that we're going to make in the moment. It's, it's, it's living with, it, with an eternal perspective. All right, the, the way that I talk, the way that I act, the way I carry myself, the way, the way that I pray, all those things, like, like what we do, what we say matters. And I think that's one of the big things that James is trying to get across in this book. And then along those same lines of keeping an eternal perspective, James kind of closes out his letter with a few final thoughts, and I want to share with you in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the, na in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Like this passage at the end of James is one of the most beautiful descriptions of what the church, what the body of Christ ought to look like. What, what James is describing here is just something that's so powerful and so beautiful. And I, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes, that our church family needs one another. That, that's what James is talking about here, that, that our church family, we need one another. We, we need one another to pray with. We need, we need to celebrate together when things, when things are going well, that we can, we can worship together and we can celebrate we need to be able to pray and lift one another up when, when, when somebody's sick, when somebody's struggling, when they're going through an issue in, in their life. We need, we need one another to be able to open up and share the deep things of life with one another. And that, that last verse, verse 16, is so powerful. Because what James, what James says, he says that when we confess our sins to each other, he said that you may be healed. Like we, we go to God and we confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to others for healing. Like there's something that is, that is healing and freeing when we share our sins and our struggles with somebody else. Like when, you, when you're walking around and you're carrying a secret sin or, or, or a struggle of some kind, like it's exhausting. There, there's, a, there's a weight that's attached to that. Like we have to try and keep up appearances, put, a, put up a front, put on a mask pretend to be something that we're not. Like, that is exhausting to do. But when we have somebody that we can trust, that we can just be ugly honest with, when we have somebody that we can just share, hey, this is what's really going on in my life. This is what I'm really dealing with. When we have somebody that knows all of those ugly things and still loves us anyways, there is such healing and such freedom in that. Such healing, such freedom. I, I, I've said this before. You don't need to tell everybody. In fact, I'm going to encourage you, don't tell everybody all of your mess. But you need to tell somebody. You don't need to tell everybody, but you need to tell somebody. Like walking the spiritual journey with God, it's not something we were ever meant to do alone. It's not something we were ever meant to do by ourselves. That we need one another. And I love how James describes what the church family ought to be about. That we pray together. We worship together. We share with one another. We're just being real, being vulnerable, being honest. And I, and I love that James closes out this letter by making a case of how important it is to be in relationship with other people that are on this same journey that we're on. And so I'm, I'm going to close our, our service this morning, and we're going to take we're going to take communion together as we kind of close out the the book of James here. And, and I'm I'm going to invite the worship team if you guys would come forward, just as I share a few final thoughts here. But I want I want to I want to kind of draw attention to the last the last two verses in in the book of James. That he closes out his letter to the first century church with these final words. He says, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, that whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death 
and cover over a multitude of sins. Like he, he ends this letter to members of the early church sharing one of the greatest attributes of the character of God. And it's God's amazing grace and his amazing patience with us, his children. A number of weeks ago in our, in our wrestling series, I talked about doubt on one of those Sundays. About what, what do we do when we have questions, when we have doubts that we're wrestling with? And one of the things I shared was that our, our doubts don't disqualify our faith. That, that when we're wrestling with questions and doubts, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be avoided. And, and even if we walk away from God, that doesn't mean it's the end of the story. That even in our doubts and our questions and even in our running, God never shuts the door in our face. That's what James is saying here in verse 19, that he welcomes us back with wide open arms every single time. That even if we wander from the truth, we can still come home. We can still come back. Like that, that's what's so beautiful about the, the parable of the prodigal son. That the younger son, he was at home. He was with his father. And he ran off. Did his own thing. But he came back. He came back home. His father didn't chastise him. Didn't give him a, a tongue lashing or a spiritual spanking. Like he, he welcomed him. He gave him his best robe. Gave him a ring. Threw, threw a party. And what James describes in this parable and what or excuse me, what Jesus describes in that parable and what James is describing here, he's not talking about somebody who's never been in relationship with God, who's brand new to the faith. He's talking about somebody who's been in the faith and walked away. But James says, all right, but if you help that person come back, come back into the fold, come back home again, that maybe they've wandered a while, they've turned their back on God, maybe they've turned their back on faith, and they came back home, like the good news is, and this is what we need to hear, God will never reject that person, but he's overjoyed to welcome them back home. And so not only into the, 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 the big church, the big family of God, but even for us here as a church body, maybe, maybe there's people here that, you know, they, they used to come to church for a while and then they, they, they left. Maybe they walked away from God. They kind of did their own thing for a while. And they came back. And what does it look like for us just to welcome them with open arms? Not in judgment, not in, not in, in, in shame, but saying, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that you're home once again. That, like, that is the kind of God that we serve. And, and so let me just share this with you just as we close out the book of James that I pray is going to be an encouragement for you. That it, Maybe you have someone you love who's walked away from God and walked away from faith. Like, I want to tell you, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Or maybe this even describes you. You know, maybe, maybe you were someone who once walked with God and you walked in the truth, but for one reason or another, you ended up walking away. I want you to know it's not the end. God's door is always wide open. His arms are always wide open. Just saying, come. Just saying, come. And so if you, if you have that, that loved one, don't quit praying. 
keep believing, keep trusting that God's going to do what only he can do. And, and I think about that as, we, as we're getting ready to take communion here this morning. Because I think about what, what Jesus did on, on the night that, that he kind of set the example. And they had the Last Supper. That, that before supper, they, he, he knelt down and he washed all the disciples' feet, including Judas, the one that was going to betray him. And I, and I know this about Jesus, that had Judas repented for conspiring to hand him over, Jesus' response would have been, welcome home. He would have gladly welcomed him back into the fold. And so no matter where you are with God, if you've been walking side by side and step with step with God, or, or maybe you've walked away, I want you to know you're welcome at this table. You're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to come and take this bread and this cup together. We have an open communion. All are welcome, regardless of where you are. Jesus just says, come. Just come. So if you would, bow your heads. Let me just pray for us as our, as our ushers come forward. Lord, we, we just thank you, God. And we love you so very much. God, thank you for your amazing goodness. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you, God, for the way that, that you do what only you can do, Lord, that, that you draw us back to you. And, and even, even if maybe we've strayed and we've walked away from you or we have loved ones that have, God, we're praying and we're believing and we're trusting, God, that you are going to do something amazing. You're going to continue to draw. You're going to restore that relationship once again. Lord, I'm so grateful, Lord, that you never close the door on us, Lord, but your doors are always wide open. And so, God, we stand in that, Lord. We stand in the gap. We pray for those that have walked away. We pray for those that have strayed. We pray for those that have, that have, that have walked away from that faith. And, God, we're calling them back and we're praying and we're believing, Lord, that you're going to do an amazing thing something that we can look back and say, all right, this, this had nothing to do with me, God. This was all you. So God, we just thank you for your amazing love, your amazing grace, your amazing patience that you share with us every single day, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing this final song, I want to invite you to come forward.